splendid blessed day and a warm welcome to the Grey Light Cafe brought to you by Frontinus Limited. Frontinus is a communications consultancy focused on engineering, infrastructure, and sustainability. With you today is Inji Musa, political scientist and teaching associate at the University of Cambridge. And I'm very pleased as always to be accompanied by Mr. Anthony Haynes, creative director of Frontinus. Greetings, Mr. Anthony. Greetings, Inji. So this episode is dedicated to how to manage a long-term non-urgent project. In essence, the thinking behind this episode is that if we are working on a large content creation project that takes a long time to produce, we need to think not only about the content itself, but also how to manage the project. In other words, how to manage the time, resources, and space involved in the development of this project over a certain period of time. But this is much easier said than done, right? So, Dr. Anthony, how do you usually approach such a challenging task? Well, my starting point is to consider the role or application of two paradigms that you can use for this type of management. One of them I call uh, waterfall and the other one is called agile. Okay, quite a lot to dissect here. So can you tell us about each of them one at a time, if you don't mind? So waterfall first, how do you characterize that waterfall approach? I see the waterfall approach as primarily a linear approach. It's not not entirely linear necessarily, but um, to get the project done, if you use a waterfall approach, there's a tendency to think of one working through a series of activities in a mostly linear way. Can you offer us an example just to illustrate it a bit more? Okay, well, let's say, for example, we've done an episode about report writing. Let's say you're writing a large report. Well, you might start with an activity like scoping, where you establish what should the report cover and what should it not cover. That would be the first task. Uh, And then you might establish a specification by working with your stakeholders. And you might talk about what are the requirements? What, What are the things that the report must provide? And also, what are the out of bounds criteria? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay, so if I may, can you just elaborate a little bit on the out of bounds criteria because I'm not very familiar with this. Okay, I I I learned the phrase out of bounds criteria from reading about product man- management in industry, product development in industry, and I find it a really helpful concept for creative projects, which is you you know in a planning group you spend time talking about what you want, what do we want out of this project. It's very important to also specify what do we not want? What are the things that would be unacceptable? What what are the things that we would say, no, no, that's out of bounds, that doesn't work for us? And by specifying them beforehand, there's a greater chance that you're going to avoid those things happening. So you can, as I say, you can establish the specification, you can, as part of that, established not only requirements but also out of bounds criteria and then you might move on to something like planning the content and producing something like a a detailed table of contents and things so these things are sort of broadly linear in the way we're working through them okay interesting is there anything else that you would say characterize the waterfall approach well, I think there are two things. The first one is a lot of time tends to be invested in the planning stage. So the ethos here is that, you know, that phrase time spent planning is time well spent. Well, actually, that isn't always true. But in a, in a waterfall approach, you are assuming that that's true. And so the mentality is 
if you can get the plan right, then the execution of the project can follow rapidly and smoothly. Interesting. I think that echoes the um, the famous saying, failing to prepare is preparing to fail, which I must say yes. comes quite handy sometimes and comes like a punishment when we don't plan. Uh, okay. Yes, 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 indeed. Yeah. We've all been yeah. there. So now what about the second characteristic that of the waterfall approach? So you said two things. One of them is... Um, yeah. Yeah, the plenty of time for planning and what was the second one okay so <clears throat> the second one is is really a byproduct of the first one there tends to be a notion of a, a blueprint having a blueprint by which i mean a very detailed plan that then needs to be followed to the letter during the implementation stage so the the people implementing the project can take the blueprint and they can see exactly what it is that they need to be doing well, that's very challenging to be honest. Okay, before we move to the second approach, may I kindly ask what are you like your initial thoughts or some immediate thoughts on on the waterfall approach? Well, it appeals to people who wish to be highly organised and who like to have everything nailed down. But there is a problem with waterfall. So again, if you take the the case of a writing project, supposing writing was just a transcription process. Well, in that case. Uh, the waterfall approach would be fine. Mm. In other words, you would have you would have all your ideas first. You you work them all out beforehand, and then the writing would be just getting them down on paper or getting them onto a computer, and that would be transcribing your ideas. The ideal. Well, that sounds great, but the problem is that actually writing often doesn't consist merely of transcription. So, as a sort of fallacy, there is an assumption. Mm that writing is purely transcription. And actually, it's more than that. Because writing is is also a medium for producing thinking, not just for transcribing pre-existing thinking. In other words, as you write, you find that you sharpen your ideas because you have to make decisions. So, for example, you have to decide which choice of words captures your idea best. And another thing that happens a lot when you write is you actually have new ideas for the actual process of writing generates new insights. So what that means is writing isn't just a means of transcription, it's also a medium for thinking. Now that poses a problem for waterfall writers, because if you've invested a lot of time uh, a lot of, of the time available, if you've invested a lot of it in planning and preparation and you produce what you think is the blueprint, that can make you very reluctant to change things when during the uh, drafting stage your ideas change and you have new ideas and so on. And even if you were prepared to dispense with your precious blueprint because you've spent a lot of time on the blueprint stage, there might not actually be time to reconceptualize things anyway. So you might just have to follow the blueprint, even though you now see it isn't quite as ideal as you thought it was. Wow. So it's kind of quite constraining in that respect. Mm, interesting. Okay. So you have used the example of writing, but if I may, like great literature often applies to other media as well. So do you think that the same thing either in terms of positive or negatives, applies there as well? Yeah, I think it often does. <clears throat> um, over the last few years, I've devoted time to talking with and listening to 
designers of various kinds, um, people working with shapes and colours and layouts and so on. And I think it's pretty evident that the same point, that thinking of the medium as a means of creating thought often applies there too. Excellent. Okay. So on that note, let's move maybe to the second approach and hopefully we're going to come back again um, for a, mm. a nice evaluation at the end. So um, what characterize an agile approach? Uh, a, an agile approach is characterized by getting started on the actual content early. So that, that, that doesn't mean that you don't do any planning or any preparation at all. But it does mean that you start on the process of writing or, or coding or whatever it is you're doing early doors. So you work on the first draft, you get cracking, uh, but you have no expectation that the draft you're writing will be correct or even complete. Right. Yeah. So you think of the process of writing as not implementing a blueprint, as in waterfall. You think of it as something like giving it a bash, okay. having a go seeing how it goes sounds exciting <laughs> so but as as exciting as sound it's like it it really looks like that you don't have any blueprint in that respect so what do you have mm. instead well i think you have something like a prototype which is a, a term that you know is used in product design hugely and yet strangely if you look at the sort of writing uh, literature of writing and writing pedagogy mm. people don't use that term very much at all but what I mean is you produce a first draft. We could call it an alpha version, if you like. Mm. And then people can assess the draft and they can review it and they can play around with it. So the expectation is there will be further iterations. You won't have got it right first time. And during those iterations, a text or a product gradually gets closer to the finished article. Okay, but if I may, how can we make the best of this first attempt or early attempts in that respect as more than one will be involved, I imagine? There must be like some guidelines you follow, right? Because what is the kind of planning you need at this stage? So your first attempt doesn't go really wild or it doesn't become wasted later on if you decide kind of to, to go drastically in a different direction. Yeah, I think that's a genuinely difficult question. So I think the answer is partly experiential. In other words, partly you just kind of learn that by doing doing it several times. But I think there are some explicit guidelines. I mean, one is it helps to actually write down the goal. Well, what, what is it you're trying to achieve? And actually have that in writing so there isn't any sort of mission creep and you don't forget what the goal is. A second is you're probably going to be working with stakeholders of one type or another. And so working out what for from a stakeholder's perspective, rather than just your own, what what's the specification? What's the list of requirements that you have to meet? And that might be something, let me give an example. It might be something like it has to be between uh, 19 and 20,000 words. You know, that, that would be a specification, actual requirement. <laughs> and then monitoring that you're on course to meet those requirements. And that involves creating a, a checklist or protocol to work through. Part of that uh, list of requirements or um, is, as we mentioned earlier, out-of-bounds criteria, like not only what do you have to do, but what do you not have to do. And then on top of that, I think there's a list of not requirements, but preferences. Mm. So when I'm working with writers who are doing something like writing a proposal for funding, 
we absolutely, of course, look at the requirements of the funding body, body but we all try, also try and work out in a softer way, well, what are their preferences? What seems to work for them? What kind of light, lights their fire? Um, when I help authors um, write journal papers to send to scientific journals, again, we, we you can look at the... Um, the author the journal requirements things like a style guide for instance but you can also try and discern what the journal or what the editor's preferences are like what what they seem to like what what works for them and the problem of course always is you could end up with a huge list of things and and then trying to write something whilst a attending to a huge list of preferences that's not going to work very well it's too complicated so i typically try and reduce them to a manageable number and i as you as you will probably know from previous episodes of this podcast i like work, working with the idea of bronze silver gold mm-hmm. you know like there are three things that, that we think the key stakeholders would really like and the gold one is the one that's the most important of all Fascinating, yeah. I think that's very, very um, enriching in terms of how you think of a different way of making a blueprint for the agile approach. So, if I may, Professor, I think I, I, I'm pretty sure the question that our listeners will surely be asking now is which of these two approaches is better, uh, and maybe which mm-hmm. one should they use then. Uh, but um, if I may, I believe we could explore this on a further episode, um, as I know we will have a lot to say on this. So yes, okay, let's let's do that. Let's let's revisit this on a subsequent occasion. Perfect. Yeah, thank you very much, Professor. Look forward to creating the conversation. Okay, well as usual, thank you, Inji. This was Inji Musa with Anthony Haynes. Grail at Cafe is edited by Dr. Bart Holmark and produced by Frontinus Limited. Frontinus specializes in gray literature forms, such as proposals, publications, papers, and reports. Frontinus helps creators of gray literature to achieve high-quality professional outputs and to be more productive. To discuss your gray literature needs and to see how Frontinus can help, you can contact Frontinus via their website, frontinus.org.uk. There is a link in the show notes. The music is from Handel's Water Music, courtesy of the United States Marine Band and Marine Chamber Orchestra.